Lord willing, we are going to soldier through this morning. <clears throat> we are going to be trying to finish up Leviticus chapter 23. Um, you know, the, uh, the New Testament is all... And, and, and I, I'm not trying to like marginalize the New Testament or anything like that, but it's low-hanging fruit. I love low-hanging fruit, right? I'm not the hardest worker, right? When I go to the apple orchard, do you need a ladder? No. I don't need a ladder. I'll be picking most of the, my family's apples up right off the ground, sir. I don't want to be bothered. Uh, and I love the New Testament because it is such instant... It's, for me, it's like instant gratification. You know, you can just start reading any book uh, in the New Testament and just be like, like instantly like, oh yeah, wow, oh yeah. And the, and the Old Testament's a little different, isn't it? <laughs> you got to dig uh, in, the, in the Old Testament and, and uh, you have to uh, be purposeful uh, in, your, in your study of the Old Testament. Obviously, some of the, some of the, the, the funner books, um, you know, Ruth and Genesis, and it's just story after story and it's, it's, very, it's very entertaining. But <clears throat> man, there's a lot of depth and there's a lot of truth uh, in some of what we would call the boring books and the, the slow-moving books. And uh, Leviticus is no different. I've really been enjoying it, um, going through Leviticus with you guys and with Dad. And um, let's, let's start with a word of prayer, though, before we get started this morning. Thank you, Father, for your word. And thank you, Father, for showing us Jesus Christ, Lord, through the law and through the commandments uh, that you gave Moses, Father, through the tabernacle worship, the feasts, and, and all the things, Lord, that you gave as, as, a, as a picture of what was going to be accomplished through Jesus Christ, Lord, what you had in store for us, Lord. We're so thankful and we're so grateful for that, Lord. And we ask, Father, that you would help us to take hope and enjoy in these things, uh, Lord, and to bury them deep in our hearts, Lord, in a place where uh, nobody, no one, nothing can ever go near or touch, Lord. Uh, and that we can, we can live in that state, Lord, in you. Help us to have our faith, Lord, the things that we believe bolstered and shored up and strengthened by what we read from the Old Testament, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. amen. You know, it's a, one of the things I'm always contemplating and thinking about when I'm reading through the Old Testament is that this is a Jewish book. Uh, this, this is a Jewish book. This belongs to the Jewish people. They still keep uh, most of these Sabbaths and feast days. Um, they still uh, uh, um, uh, practice them. And they have absolutely no idea what you and I know. It reminds me of the fact that when, when, when the word is talking about that those from the old, uh, the prophets of old, you know, they, they, they didn't fully understand the things that they were writing down, the things that they were being told. They didn't fully understand it, and yet they were faithful to God to write it down and believed him. You know, that's one of the amazing, amazing things to me is all these things that God has given to Moses. And, and, of course, Moses, you know, wrote it, so maybe he left it out. But you never hear Moses saying, why? 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 I don't get it, Lord. I don't get it. He was simply obedient to what God was telling him to do, which that in and of itself is a fantastic example for you and I as believers in Jesus Christ. Because God has called us to be obedient. He has called us to be obedient to his word. We don't have to always understand it. It doesn't always have to make sense to us. I don't even have to agree with it. How do you like that? You know, there's things that are in the scriptures that I really don't, I'm not the biggest fan of. I'm not a fan of hell. I'm really not a fan. 
I don't like talking about hell. Uh, I don't like explaining hell to people who don't know Jesus. Uh, I'm not a big fan about it. But God has established everything, right? And it is simply my duty to honor what his word says and to honor what he's called me to do. That's, that's all of our duty. And Moses is a fantastic example. And all the prophets uh, and priests of old are a fantastic example to you and I in that as they were obedient to things that they didn't even understand, that they didn't even fully understand. Of course, Paul tells us that the Jewish people to this day have a, have a, have a veil over their eyes, that they're unable to see the things in the Old Testament that clearly speaks of Jesus Christ. Have you ever been reading Isaiah, reading in the Psalms, and just absolutely describing and talking about crucifixion, and absolutely 100% describing the suffering Messiah, and him being broken and, and bruised and beaten for us? And you ever think, you ever read that, and be reading that, and think, how do Jewish people, how do practicing Jewish people read this and not at least go, Huh. Hmm, maybe, right? Well, the scripture tells us that there's a veil there, and I don't know all of God's purposes, but I'll tell you what, I am certainly thankful that I get to read this with you guys, and we get to have it unveiled to us. And, 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 and don't make light of it. Like, it's easy for us because we live in the miraculous in, in Jesus Christ and by the power of the Holy Spirit. You and I live in the miraculous every single day. And we have this terrible habit as human beings as taking things for granted as becoming, uh, growing accustomed to just about anything. People can grow accustomed to just about anything, even living in the miraculous in which we live in every single day, having these truths revealed to us by the power of the Holy Spirit. These things, these things that are written in scriptures that you and I understand, that's because of the Holy Spirit living inside of you, revealing these things and opening these things up to your heart. That's why you can talk to a friend or a family member or a co-worker, and they're looking at you like you have three heads, and you're like, how can you not see these things? How can you not see and understand? Well, they have not been revealed to them by the Holy Spirit. You know, this is where, you know, we're, you know when we don't go, we don't get all... Uh, gung-ho one way or another because the Bible talks about predestination. The Bible talks about election. The Bible also talks about the free will of man. So what, what do you believe? Yes. Yes. Just because I have free will doesn't mean God isn't sovereign. And just because God is sovereign doesn't mean I don't have free will. The things that God, the ones who God foreknew, he also predestined. He knew every decision, every single thing you were ever going to do, every step of the way through your entire life. And he predestined you according to that. That doesn't mean that you have any less free will choice. It just means God's way bigger than you. He's just way, way bigger than us. And do you ever, do you ever read or study or you're in worship and you, you, ever, you ever just say to yourself, say to God, why me? You know, every single person who's here this morning, you're here for a reason. You're here for a purpose. You're here for a reason. God has drawn you to this place today and brought you here because he's called you, because he's trying to show himself to you, or he has shown himself to you, and he wants to reveal himself further to you. What a privilege. What a privilege that we live in. Uh, it's absolutely amazing. So, in Leviticus chapter 23, we started uh, talking about the, the feast, and we were going through the feast, the feasts, rather, um, and I think we got as far as, as Pentecost, 
Um, just to kind of recap, the first thing that Leviticus chapter 23 talks about is the Passover, which of course is a day of rest. We know that Jesus Christ is our rest. He is our Sabbath. And there also remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. When we are with him, that is going to be the ultimate fulfillment of the Sabbath. Every single moment of every single second, even though there will be no time, of our existence in the hereafter is going to be rest. To rest. No more pain, no more sorrow, no more anxiety, no more everything that besets us in this life. Rest in Jesus Christ. Rest. That's what we have to hope for. He is our rest. Uh, the next thing that we talked about that Leviticus chapter 23 goes through is the Passover. And of course, the Passover was, was uh, instituted uh, during the time that the children of Israel were in slavery in Egypt. And they were instructed to take the blood of a spotless lamb and put it on their doorposts so that when the angel of death went through Egypt to kill each firstborn of the Egyptian houses or of any house that didn't have the blood, remember... If you were a Jewish person in Egypt at the time of the Exodus or just leading up to the Exodus and you didn't put blood on your doorpost, guess what? You were not exempted from the judgment of God. It was only those who had the blood that the angel of death passed over. Get it? Right? I don't care where you go to church. I don't care. Everyone I talk to, well, I'm of this. Well, I'm of that. Okay, that's fantastic. You need to be born again too. Well, you don't understand. I'm of this or I'm of that. Oh, good for you. You need to be born again, too. Because that's what Jesus Christ said. And he is our Passover lamb. And if the blood of the lamb is not on the doorpost of your heart, the angel of death will not pass over you. That is God's way. That is what God has established. And we don't have a right to argue it or to try to debate it with him. The blood of the lamb is the only thing that keeps us from the angel of death. That is it. The blood of the lamb. It's not your goodness. It's not your performance. It's only the blood of the lamb. And anybody, regardless of their circumstances, situation, how often they go to church or how many good deeds they do, it makes no difference if the blood of the lamb is not on the doorpost of one's heart. The angel of death cannot pass over that house because the blood of the lamb is the only thing that exempts us from judgment. After the Passover, the next feast we talked about is the Feast of First Fruits. Now, it's interesting because the first fruits in this wave offering that the priest would offer, that people would bring in, and the priest would wave before the Lord, was to be done. This Feast of First Fruits, the wave offering was to be done the day after the Sabbath. Okay, the day after the Sabbath was when this first fruits offering was given. Well, what do we know about Jesus Christ? He rose from the dead when. First day of the week, which is the day after the Sabbath. Okay? Sunday's the first day of the week. Everyone's like, wait a minute. Monday's the first day of the week. Every American knows. <laughs> Sunday's the first day of the week. Sunday is the day that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. He quite literally was and is the first fruits of the resurrection. In fact, in 1 Corinthians 15, 20, Paul says, But now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Amen. That's wonderful. That's fantastic. He is the first fruits. In fact, that's why we gather on Sunday. That's why we worship on Sunday. Uh, you know, people get all weird about these kind of things. You know, it's like people forget that we're, it is for freedom that Christ has set you free. And, and, I, and I love when Paul gets after the church, like you're observing days and months and you're, all these different things like, hello, 
Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of all of these things. Sunday is not a holy day of obligation for you and I any more than Saturday would be for you and I. It is not a holy day of obligation. It is an oasis in the desert. It is the idea of understanding fully who we are in Christ and how great our need is and having this day that's set aside to celebrate the day that our first fruits, Jesus Christ, rose from the grave, appeared to his disciples, and eventually ascended into heaven. But the resurrection, that's, my, that's our hope. That's what we are looking towards. And so Sunday is a day that we meet uh, to celebrate that and also worship. The next feast that we have is the Feast of Weeks, or what is also called Pentecost. And this was commemorating the giving of the law to Moses on Mount Sinai. And of course, in Acts chapter 2, verses 1 to 4, when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire... And one sat upon each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. That's Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. Now, interestingly enough, and you remember when Jesus Christ, when he was before he ascended to heaven, he told his disciples, wait in Jerusalem. Wait here until the Holy Spirit comes. Don't do anything. Uh, don't do anything. One of the interesting debates that we have is, was Matthias a really an apostle? Was Matthias one of the was one of the disciples? We know where Pop stands on this one, and Pop's whole uh, his whole um, uh, opinion on the thing is Jesus told them to wait. Jesus told them to wait, and when you see how how did they how did they pick Matthias to replace Judas? They cast lots. Jesus don't gamble. God doesn't gamble. He's like I don't know Gabriel. Just throw a dart at the dartboard, and we'll figure we'll go from there. No, 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 no. Everything with him is expressly done for an express purpose. Jesus Christ already had someone picked out to replace Judas, and that was the Apostle Paul, right? But nobody ever would have picked him. <laughs> nobody ever would have picked Saul of Tarsus, this evil monster of a man. And I love it. Jesus says, wait, wait. Don't go anywhere. Don't do anything until you know, until I've made it clear, until I've opened the door. One of the years at uh, uh, FCA, and, and there's this idea of staying in Jerusalem before they were sent out. And, and, and so Ed Stratton, who's the guy who runs the whole, the whole camp, he would every day say, did you stay before you went? Did you stay before you went? Did you stay before you went? Did you stop and you just stop, wait on the Holy Spirit and say, Lord, what do you want me to do today? Lord, who is it that you have for me to minister to today expressly? Just get up and just go through the motions of camp. But who is it that you have that you want me? Prepare my heart, Lord, and prepare their heart and fill me with your Holy Spirit. We should not be haphazard in our ministry. We should not be haphazard. Now, concerning Matthias, I, I, don't, I have no dog in this fight, okay? If you want Matthias to be one of the 12 disciples, God bless you. God bless you. As for me... And my house, no, I don't even care. It makes zero difference. I am just like, I'm just one of the, I, I don't care. I don't care. Right now my father's going, how could you not care? You know, I just, I don't care. It's there. It's, it's whatever. So Pentecost. Now, interestingly enough, and this is one of the things I love when we're going through the Feast of Weeks, 
or the Feast uh, of Pentecost, um, if you go down to verse 22 of chapter 23, you have this verse and it's like, okay, why is this here? When you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not wholly reap the corners of your field when you reap, nor shall you gather any gleaning from your harvest. You shall leave them for the poor and for the stranger. I am the Lord your God. What one name comes to mind when you think of this law? The gleaning. Ruth. Ruth. You remember who Ruth married? Come on. Boaz. You remember who their son was? Uh Uh-oh, now we're... I didn't look this up. I just know it's in there. I swear. I swear. Obed. Obed. Right? And his son's name was Jesse. And Jesse's son's name was Woo-hoo! King David, baby. King David. And God's promise to establish the throne for the Messiah. What is that throne called? The throne of David. David. And so right in the middle of talking about Pentecost, we have this reminder about this obscure law about not gathering from all four corners of the field, but going through it once and leaving everything that was left over for the poor, for the orphan, for the widows, and for the foreigners. And of course, we know that Ruth was not a Jewish girl. Ruth was a Moabitess. The hated Moabites. She was an idolater and she was brought near to the family of God and put into the lineage of Jesus Christ. And for me, when I read this and I talk about the Feast of Weeks, which is Pentecost, which is the day that the Holy Spirit came and took for Jesus Christ a Gentile bride. A Gentile bride. That's what happened on that day. When the Holy Spirit came at Pentecost, that was the taking of the Gentile bride. That was the beginning of you and I. That was the beginning of the church. That was the beginning. There ain't no church without the Holy Spirit. We're clear on that, right? When the Holy Spirit came that day at Pentecost, of all people, who are you going to choose to speak, Lord? Peter. Oh, pick someone else, please. <laughs> Anybody but Peter. He's going to go kill somebody out there. You know, he's going to end up chopping people up in the, in the thoroughfare, you know, or say something terrible and he's going to put his foot in the... No, the Holy Spirit came at Pentecost. And the Holy Spirit came upon Peter, and Peter went out, and thousands get saved. The church explodes on that day when a Gentile bride was taken. I love it. I love that stuff. The next feast that we have uh, is the Feast of Trumpets. Uh, Verse 23, Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, saying, In the seventh month, on the first day of the month, you shall have a Sabbath rest, a memorial of blowing of trumpets, a holy convocation. You shall do no customary work on it, and you shall offer an offering made by fire to the Lord. This is Rosh Hashanah. This is the Jewish New Year. Okay? That's what the Feast of Trumpets is. Now, for you and I, as we're going down through this feast, we've talked about the Sabbath. We've talked about Jesus being our rest. We've talked about the Passover, Jesus being the Lamb. We've talked about the first fruits, Jesus being our first fruits of the resurrection from the dead. We've talked about the Feast of Weeks, Pentecost, the beginning of the church. And the very next feast that we have is the Feast of Trumpets. Probably guys know where I'm going with this. With this. 1 Corinthians 15, 51 and 52. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. First Thessalonians 4, 
verses 16 and 17, for the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. Now, I want to make something very, very, very clear. I'm not here this morning to tell you that actual things that are going to happen future for you and I, okay, future for you and I are going to exactly coincide with the feasts. You know what I mean? It's interesting to look at those things. It's interesting to wonder about those. What do you think? You think it might happen? You think think the rapture might happen on the Feast of Trumpets? You think the Feast of Trumpets might happen? Maybe. Maybe. But I think so often these things are just for you and I supposed to build up that hope that we have within us. It's not about dates to me. It's not about exact dates or no one knows the day or the hour, right? We're supposed to understand the seasons. We're supposed to understand the time that we're living in and redeem that time. But no one knows the date or the hour. But I just love the fact that you have, you have the Passover, the, 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 the sacrificing of the lamb, you have the first fruits, you have the coming of the Holy Spirit, Pentecost, and the next one, and it's the longest time period between feasts, is the one between Pentecost and trumpets. And so we have this time from the coming of the Holy Spirit, or what we would call the church age, before that day comes. And there's going to be a trumpet. You ever think to yourself, what's that trumpet going to sound like? Like a regular trumpet? Like a Louis Armstrong trumpet? Like Belmont Stakes? Is it going to be a, like a shofar? Well, I don't think they got a dead ram's horn in heaven. I don't, probably not. I don't, I don't know. I have no idea. The trumpet of God. What in the world or out of the world, does the trumpet of God sound like? Is that something that we're going to hear in our hearts? Is that something that the entire universe is going to hear? And Revelation talks about the, people, the, the, the kings and the princes and the generals calling for the rocks and the mountains to fall on them and hide them from the face of the land for the great and dreadful day of his judgment has come. And who can stand? So I don't know. Uh, who are, is, but all I know is this. Those of us who are in Christ, we're going to hear it. We're going to hear it. And we're going to be with the Lord forevermore. Now, um, after the Feast of Trumpets, we have the Day of Atonement, verse 26. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, Also the tenth day of this seventh month shall be the Day of Atonement. It shall be a holy convocation for you. I love this part. You shall afflict your souls. And offer an offering made by fire to the Lord. You shall do no work on that same day, for it is the day of atonement, to make atonement for you before the Lord your God. For any person who was not afflicted in soul on that same day shall be cut off from his people. And any person who does any work on that same day, that person, notice the language here, I will destroy from among his people. You shall do no manner of work. It shall be a statute forever throughout your generations and all your dwellings. It shall be to you a Sabbath of solemn rest. You shall afflict your souls. On the ninth day of the month uh, at evening, from evening to evening, you shall celebrate your Sabbath, the Day of Atonement. I want to read a few verses for you. Uh, Romans chapter 11 uh, and verse 26. Uh, And so all Israel will be saved. As it is written, the deliverer will come out of Zion and he will turn away ungodliness from Jacob. Jeremiah 23, 6. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell safely. Now this is his name by which he will be called 
the Lord our righteousness. Zechariah chapter 12, verses 10 to 14. And I will pour out on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplication. Then they will look on me whom they pierced. Yes, they will mourn for him as one more. This is in the Old Testament. This is what rabbis have to read in the synagogue. And I wonder, how do you explain this away? Then they will look on me whom they pierced. Yes, they will mourn for him as one mourns for his only son and grieve for him as one grieves for a firstborn. In that day there shall be a great mourning in Jerusalem, like the mourning at Hadad Ramon in the plain of Megiddo. And the land shall mourn affliction of their souls, every family by itself, the family of the house of David by itself, and their wives by themselves, the family of the house of Nathan by itself, and their wives by themselves, the family of the house of Levi by by itself, and their wives by themselves, the family of Shimei by itself, and their wives by themselves. All the families that remain, every family by itself, and their wives by themselves. Zechariah chapter 13, verses 1 through 6. Ha <laughs> ha. In that day a fountain shall be opened for the house of David and for the inhabitants of Jerusalem for sin and for uncleanness. The day of atonement, my friends. It shall be in that day, says the Lord of hosts, that I will cut off the names of the idols from the land, and they shall no longer be remembered. I will also cause the prophets and the unclean spirit to depart from the land. It shall come to pass that if anyone still prophesies, then his father and mother who begot him will say to him, You shall not live, because you have spoken lies in the name of the Lord. And his father and mother who begot him shall thrust him through when he prophesies. And, in that, and it shall be in that day that every prophet will be ashamed of his vision when he prophesies. They will not wear a robe of coarse hair to deceive, but he will say, I am no prophet, I am a farmer, for a man taught me to keep cattle from my youth. And one will say to him, what are these wounds between your arms? And he will answer, those which I was wounded in the house of my friends. Amazing, amazing. Jesus Christ, after the rapture of the church and the resurrection of those who are dead in Christ at the trumpet sound of God, the trumpet of God, we are going to be taken to be with the Lord. And during that seven years, that's the part of the Bible that talks about that great time of tribulation, Jacob's trouble. It's the time in which the Holy Spirit is going to be not completely removed from the world, but taken out of the way. Jesus Christ told Peter, the gates of hell shall not prevail against the church, but we're told in Revelation that the Antichrist is given power to make war against the saints and to have victory over them. Okay, and so this is going to be a time completely apart from any other time in history. Any other time in history. When you, when you watch the Left Behind series and stuff like that, and some of these, these, these tribulation movies that I've seen, and you know they're getting away from the Antichrist, and they're outsmarting the Antichrist, and, and then angels intercede on their behalf. That's not biblical, just so you know. It's, it's going to be, it's going to be like, welcome to the family, uh, time to die. That's it. I mean, it's going to be the time the Bible talks about such as the earth has never seen nor will ever see again. I, I, I don't think that we can overstate how terrible that seven-year period is going to be because the very wrath of God is going to fall on planet earth. 
and on anyone who takes the mark of the beast, who pledges their allegiance to Antichrist, who will be a great deceiver, the Bible says, and will deceive many. The Bible talks about the fact that in Romans that those people who reject the truth, who will not receive or have the truth of God within their hearts, God gives them over to a powerful delusion that they'll believe the lie. You want to wonder and, and understand why the people of the world, when you look and see what's happening in our world today, in our country today, how can they believe this stuff? How can they think that way? When you reject the truth, when you reject the truth, when you wholesale reject the truth, man, you're open. You're wide open for any kind of deception that the enemy would bring your way. Our fortress, our solitude, our strength, our protection is in Christ. Is in Christ. Now, when we're taken out of this, out of this world at the rapture of the church, and that seven-year tribulation period comes upon planet Earth, remember... 144,000 virgin Jewish males, 12,000 from each of the 12 tribes are going to be sealed by the Spirit of God to go out and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. When the time comes, the Antichrist is causing everyone to take his mark. An angel is going to fly. One already flew through the whole earth giving the gospel to the whole, world, whole earth. Another one's going to fly through the whole earth telling people, warning people, if you take the mark of the beast, that's it. Your soul, your fate is sealed. You're damned. That's it. It's over. That's going to be the tribulation period. And the culmination of that is going to be Jesus Christ. And it blows my mind. The Antichrist actually gathers an army to fight against Jesus. Because during this time, you have had the bowl judgments and you've had the trumpets. You've had all of this pouring out of God's wrath upon an unbelieving and Christ-rejecting world. And the Antichrist, the Bible is very specific in Revelation, rather than confess their sins and rather than be sorry for what they've done and rather than repenting before God, they clench their teeth and they lift their fists and they curse the name of Almighty God and curse Him for the judgment. How dare... The heart of mankind is deceitfully wicked and above finding out. God is going to show the world just exactly what that means in the tribulation period in a time that we, have, uh, we haven't even talked about yet after that. But the culmination of that seven-year tribulation is Jesus Christ coming back with the church and Antichrist is gathered right there in Megiddo in Israel, in the valley of Megiddo, to make war against Jesus. Of course, the Bible says he opens his mouth and a sword comes out that we know the Bible, the Word of God, is called the, uh, the, the sword. The Word of God is the sword. It's that double-edged sword. It's going to come out of Jesus' mouth. What he's going to say, nobody knows. We'll be there, and we'll hear it then, and it's over. It's instantaneously over. And the false prophet and the Antichrist are thrown into the lake of fire. And Satan is bound and thrown into the abuso, whatever that is, for a thousand years. And at that point in time, Jesus Christ, you ready? Are you ready? The day of atonement, Jesus Christ is going to step, his foot is going to touch the Mount of Olives, and it's going to be split and open a valley to the eastern gate of the city of Jerusalem. I mean, we're standing there. When we went to our trip to Israel, we're standing there, and Amir is like, this is where Jesus Christ's feet are going to touch down. And we're like, oh, 
you know, and he's like, and that eastern gate, that's not the eastern gate. The eastern gate was excavated. It's actually underground. The original eastern gate is actually underground. So when Jesus Christ's foot touched the Mount of Olives and the earth is split in half and it opens up a valley, the original eastern gate is going to be exposed. And that's what Jesus is going to walk through. Hello? The day of atonement. And all of the children of Israel who are, who, are, who are still there because of a whole other litany of things that we haven't even talked about from that seven-year tribulation period, everyone, every single Jewish person that God has protected and God has kept them from Satan, trying to destroy them completely in order to break God's promise to Jacob, every single one, when they see Jesus, what are the wounds on your hands? What are those? These are the wounds that I received in the house of my friends. And they'll look on him whom they pierce and they will mourn for him as one mourns for their only son because they're going to know exactly who he is. Exactly who he is. And all these words that we're reading and all these things we're going to talk about, the veil is going to be taken away and they're going to see it all. Now that's a day of atonement. Now that's a day of atonement. And we're just going to be probably going, oh, I mean, what in the world? Good thing we're glorified. Have a heart attack drop dead right then and there. You know what I'm saying? Like, wow. The things that are in the Word of God. I mean, listen. Listen, when you're witnessing to people, don't tell them this stuff. Okay? You, you, this, stuff, this stuff resonates in your heart because the Holy Spirit lives there. Because of the faith that you have in Jesus Christ. If you're going to talk on unbelievers about the rapture of the church, you wacko. You know, you, you're kooky, get straight jacket and get you out of here. You know what I mean? You tell people about Jesus. You tell people how much Jesus loves them. You tell people how Jesus Christ died for their sins because he loves them, because they are a treasure to him, right? That's what we tell people about. This is for you and I, church. That's why we're gathered here on the first day of the week, the day that Jesus rose from the dead, to talk about the day when he's going to come back for us. And we're going to be with him for seven years during that tribulation period. Then we're going to return with him to planet Earth, the day of atonement. And all Israel will be saved at that point in time. God's done with Israel. What are you smoking? I mean, I'm sorry. I know it's irreverent. I can't help myself. When people, God's done with Israel, God's over with Israel, what Bible are you reading? Who told you that? God says, as long as the sun rises in the east and sets in the west, my covenant with Jacob will stand. Did it rise in the east this morning? (laughs) It's going to set in the west too. God's covenant with Jacob stands firm. God is faithful. It doesn't matter how faithless his people ever are. He will never be done with those that he loves. And that's good news for you and me too. Thank God he's never done with us. Can you imagine that? I mean, I would have been done with me long ago. Twice this week, I would have cast myself into the lake of fire. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't deserve this. I don't. And yet God's love is continual. And it's poured out on us again and again and again. Receive his love. It's it's like receive my love, receive my grace, receive the Holy Spirit, walk in the light. I mean, God is like this plea continual that he has for his people to walk in the light as he is in the light. After after the the Day of Atonement, we have the Feast uh, of Tabernacles. 
The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, saying, The fifteenth day of this seventh month shall be the feast of tabernacles for seven days to the Lord. On the first day there shall be a holy convocation. You shall do no customary work on it. For seven days you shall offer an offering made by fire to the Lord. On the eighth day you shall have a holy convocation, and you shall offer an offering made by fire to the Lord. It is a sacred assembly, and you shall do no customary work on it. These are the feasts of the Lord, which you shall proclaim to be holy convocations, to offer an offering made by fire to the Lord, a burnt offering and a grain offering, a sacrifice and a drink and drink offerings, everything on its day. Besides the Sabbath of the Lord, besides your gifts, besides all your vows, and besides all your freewill offerings, which you give to the Lord. Also on the 15th day of the seventh month, when you have gathered in the fruit of the land, you shall keep the feast of the Lord for seven days. On the first day there shall be a Sabbath rest, and on the eighth day a Sabbath rest. And you shall take for yourselves on the first day the fruit of beautiful trees, branches of palm trees, and boughs of leafy trees, and willows of the brook, and you shall rejoice before the Lord your God for seven days." You shall keep it as a feast to the Lord for seven days in the year. It shall be a statute forever in your generations. You shall celebrate it in the seventh month. And you shall dwell in booths for seven days. All who are native Israelites shall dwell in booths. That your generations may know that I made the children of Israel dwell in booths when I brought them out of the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. So Moses declared to the children of Israel the feast of the Lord. The feast of tabernacles, Ezekiel chapter 37. Ezekiel chapter 37. Moreover, I will make a covenant of peace with them, and it shall be an everlasting covenant with them. I will establish them and multiply them, and I will set my sanctuary in their midst forevermore. My tabernacle also shall be with them Indeed, I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Remember, in the book of Revelation, at the very end, immediately following the crushing of Satan's final rebellion, okay, for those of you who are maybe new to this stuff, Jesus comes back, he destroys Antichrist, he sets up his throne in the, in, uh, from, from Jerusalem, he sits on the throne of David, and the world is returned to paradise for a thousand years, and Satan is in the abuso, in the abyss during that time, and the earth is restored to the Garden of Eden times, and sacrifices and praises are brought in before the Lord day in and day out, and we rule with him a thousand years. At the end of a thousand years, after a thousand years of paradise, after a thousand years of health and prosperity and all things being restored, Satan is released from the abyss. Why? Because during that period of a thousand years, there's going to be marriage and there's going to be people being born, having children, all of these things. And there's going to be many who never have had to make a choice. Who've never had to make a choice. And Satan is going to be released from the abyss and he's going to go out one final time throughout the world to attempt to deceive anyone who would follow them. And the Bible says that he gathers himself an army and they march against Jerusalem and it's like the sand of the seashores. The desperately wicked heart of man and the final judgment of it. And not by God's hand and not by God's will, but just by showing Man's inclination towards darkness. Man's inclination towards wickedness. God have mercy. You know when Paul's saying that, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? 
And Satan gathers this army and brings them against the kingdom, brings them against Jerusalem. And fire descends from heaven and consumes the army. And Satan is taken and he's thrown into the lake of fire. And at that point in time, the great white throne of judgment is revealed. And everyone is judged, both the living and the dead, by God's hand. This is where the Bible says the earth gave up its dead and the sea gave up its dead. And all of these souls are judged. It's the final judgment. And only at that point, once sin has been completely and finally and irrevocably dealt with by God personally, and it's eradicated for all time, once and for all, for all eternity, and there is no more Satan, and there is no more demons, and there is no more death, and all of it is gone, then the old heaven and the old earth passes away, There's a new heaven and a new earth and a new Jerusalem. And God, only then is God able to make his tabernacle with men. Understand, our only way to God is through Jesus Christ. This is why it's so important. There is no me just walking into the throne room and saying, Hey, God, it's your old buddy, Frank. It's only by the blood of Jesus Christ that I can be in his presence. He is as holy and as fearful and as awesome as he ever was. And sin cannot abide in his presence. This is what the gospel is. It's not that God hates sinners. God passionately loves sinners and Jesus died for sinners. But sin and God cannot occupy the same space at the same time. It is an impossibility. It can never be. And God cannot come down and make his tabernacle with mankind fully Well, we'll see him face to face. Well, we'll already will see him face to face. But the rest of the inhabitants of the earth see him face to face until sin is no more. Until it's gone. Not for his sake, for us, for for the people's sake. And at that point in time, the tabernacle of God, and that's what it says, is now with men. I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no more sea. Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. Then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. And he said to me, It is done I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give of the fountain of the water of life freely to him who thirsts. He who overcomes shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much, Lord, for your word, and thank you for the reminder, Lord, the beautiful reminder that we have through these feasts of what you have both done for us, Lord, and what you are going to do for us, Lord. And we get to be there with you through it all, Father. We're so grateful. We're so thankful, Father. In this season of Thanksgiving, Lord, we pray that you would fill our hearts this week to overflowing, Lord, with just a complete understanding, Lord, to the best of our ability of who you are, what you've done for us, Lord, and that we would be bursting at the seams, uh, Lord, because of your love and because of the promises that are yea and amen, Lord, by you and in us, Lord. And help us to be that light, Lord. Help us to be salt. Help us to not 
argue and, and, and fight with our families about silly things and earthly things this year, Father, but help us to be a light and an example of the love and the purity and the truth uh, of Jesus Christ, Lord. Help us to be that light. Help us to be who you need us to be, Father. And I thank you for your word. I thank you for the preparation, Lord, as you're preparing our hearts to be used by you, both at the end of the age, Lord, and in the kingdom to come. Lord, and I pray that you would make us exactly who you need us to be in Christ, Lord. Uh, And we are grateful, Lord. We're thankful to you today. I pray that you'd bless my brothers and sisters. I pray that you'd watch over them, that you'd protect them, that you'd keep them, that you'd cause your face to shine upon them, Lord that you would lead them along your paths of truth and righteousness and holiness, Father, and that you would accomplish your will in their hearts. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen. Thanks, fam.